So good. Well, welcome back. Glad to see you here. It's always a little bit weird to know what's going to happen this weekend. Is there, there going to be tons and tons of people in town? Is there going to be tons of people gone? Who knows? But uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Glad to see you. Uh, I can't see you very well. I don't know if it's like cloud cover or what's going on, but um, anybody here from out of town that's, that's visiting or back again? If it's the first time here visiting, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you're back, nobody. All right, welcome home. Uh, my parents are here. Yeah, you can, you can applaud. You can make them feel uncomfortable. That's, yeah. Anything you want to know about me, you can ask them. Anything you really want to know about me, they won't know. <laughs> Hit it from them. Yeah. No, good. Uh, so glad. So last week, uh, uh, I got, had the opportunity to, to preach here. Logan was out of town on a family thing. He's out of town again. And, uh, and I often pick on Logan because he likes to go over 40 minutes. You know, we have a, a schedule, right? And it's 40 minutes. And he goes over that all the time. So I, you know, as coworkers do, I, I pick on him a little bit because he goes over 40 minutes. Well, last week I spoke for 52 minutes. <laughs> So if that doesn't get you excited about this morning, I don't know what will. Well, if you're already reading ahead, you'll know that this is a little bit ironic. I vow to be less than that this week. You'll get that in a minute. Okay, so we're in the book of Matthew. Uh, We know that Jesus is uh, giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is contrasting what the Pharisees are, are teaching and, he's, and he keeps saying, you've heard, you've heard it said. And so that's a little bit of common knowledge, either from their knowledge of what's going on in Scripture or from what the Pharisees have been teaching. And we've been seeing that, that Jesus has been telling us, God is interested in your hearts as well as, as your hands. He does want to see those, those actions that come out of the heart, but he also wants to see what's going on in the heart. And, and we can separate those things, Right? We can have a heart value, but never have it lived out. Or we could be following the rules, but not really have our heart changed. So we can have the, the right action, but not the right heart attitude. And, and Jesus has been teaching that, that he wants all of you. So, uh, so a couple weeks ago, we, we found out that, that we're all a bunch of murderers. <laughs> we have anger in our heart, and that anger can, can turn into murder in the heart. And if left unchecked, can turn into murder in the flesh. And then last week, we talked about how we're all a bunch of adulterers that, that, that can start in the heart, and, and then it can go into the, the flesh. And so this week, we're going to find out that we're a bunch of liars. And so maybe that's why the room is half full, so people are tired of hearing this. I don't know. But this is what, what I get when Logan leaves. So here we go. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for those who are here and those who are out visiting their family and traveling around. God, with all the the winter weather, we pray for safety. God, we ask that you would allow everybody to get to to their places safely. And God, um, for this morning, as people are worshiping all over the place, God, uh, in in the churches that fear and love you, I pray that there would be great worship, that, that everybody would be able to sit at your feet and hear from your truth this morning. God, help us to, to see what it is that, that you want us to, to know, to hear, to live, to be able to come out of here changed and, and live like the children that you want us to, to be. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, all right, get your fingers warmed up. We're going to start out in Matthew chapter 5. 
as we have been for the last several weeks. And uh, Matthew 5, I've got a bookmark here. No, I don't. Well, fortunately, Matthew is pretty easy to find. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said to our ancestors that you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So Jesus goes on. He continues on sharing. This is his fourth and his fifth uh, differences between what the Pharisees have been teaching and how it should be. Or maybe more clearly, Jesus has been sharing uh, with us how to understand the upside down, the theme of this series. There's a system of the world that seems right to the world, and Jesus says, this is upside down from the way I created it to be. This is, this is not right. And so we hear these teachings. They heard these teachings and they thought, this is right. And Jesus says, you guys have forgotten the way that I created things. The way that I set out. The way that I want it to be. And, and eventually what Jesus would do with his life to make it possible. And so living in the upside down, Jesus continues to, to teach. If there's an overriding principle here, it would be that, that Jesus wants all of you. That's where we ended last week. He doesn't just want the actions. He, he wants the heart as well. He wants all of you. He wants your heart. He wants your thoughts. And, and today we get to see a little bit of, he also wants your words, which is an interesting in, inclusion here. And the Pharisees were good at putting the Old Testament teachings through a filter. We've seen that on repeat, where they had time to marinate. You know, I don't really blame them so much. They had a long time to look through these teachings of the Old Testament. But unfortunately, they would look at these teachings and, and they, would, they would sit down maybe with a group of friends and they'd say, what, what does that really mean? And, uh, and oftentimes, that interpretation of what that, that teaching meant would, would lead them astray. In uh, Matthew chapter 5.20, Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to completely fulfill it. We started out the series highlighting that as, as people would think, well, well, Jesus, you know, all of those laws, they're, they're irrelevant, irrelevant now. And Jesus says, no, I, I wrote all those things to you in the past so that you would understand. But now I'm here to, to completely illuminate to you, to, to open your eyes to what it is to be a child of God. And so, Jesus is walking step by step through the mess of the mass confusion that that, uh, that they've been living in, and clarity to what God really wants his followers to believe. Here's the thing I find to be true, and you can, you can let me know by, by some nods. Uh, I think we want to be in proximity to truth-tellers. I think you really want your boss to be a truth-teller. I think you want your coworkers to be a truth-teller. What about your families, your relationship with your, your closest loved ones? You want some honesty there? What about leaders? What about politicians? Like that got the most, okay. 
But it's really true, and that's one of the reasons I was interested in this passage, is I think there is a, a collective cultural inside the church, just in the world, there's a bit of frustration from the lies that have been told. It, it weighs on us, and it, and it wreaks havoc. We clearly see how murder wreaks havoc and how adultery wreaks havoc, but we might think, oh, come on, a lie. Oh, just a white lie. Now, these things are, are put together. And Jesus is contrasting these teachings, and so we can jump a little bit, but he's definitely bringing out some of the, the big listers. And telling the truth is really, really important. We want that for all the people around us. And is a little bit of human nature. We like to look to others first. We want everybody else to get their stuff together, but, you know, <laughs> we, we pass on what's going on inside our own hearts. And Jesus clearly is saying, you've seen this, you've heard this out there, but I'm telling you, I want you to hear this. I want you to be truth tellers. So in verse 33, again, you've heard it said. There's another way of the Pharisees just referring to God's laws and applying their own teaching to the matters. You must not break your oaths but you must keep your oath to the Lord. First of all, this isn't a direct quote of any Old Testament passage. We, we saw that a little bit last week in the, in the previous week where they, they had it all right or they had it mostly right, but there was a, a key word that, that, that was different in there. But, but this actually isn't any specific quote from, from the Old Testament, but it is a summary of several passages. And so that makes a little bit of sense for the Pharisees to have a bunch of knowledge of different scriptural passages and just apply one teaching to it. And so that's a little bit of what they were doing here. But we can pull from, and you can look if you want or not. Some of you were really excited about jumping through your Bibles last week. So um, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, if you want. You really don't need to. But Leviticus 19, 12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord Yahweh. Over in Numbers, chapter 30, verse 3. That's a, a bit of a, a long passage here, and it's interesting to look at. So if you want to write that down for your own study later, Numbers 33, it's got a whole section. And it's, it's a section that's really kind of interesting. There's relationships between fathers and daughters. And it, and it talks about how if a young daughter in a household makes a vow to the Lord, the, the, the father could either accept that vow or disaccept that vow, whatever word that is. Um, also, husbands and wives, that same sort of relationship. And so it's an interesting look at some, some processes when it comes to vows. But essentially, it was saying, keep your vows. If you make a vow, if you make a promise, if you make an oath, you should keep it. And don't make silly vows. Don't come up with some really, really strong statements. I promise my life that the Ducks are going to win the, the football game. No, don't do silly vows. Help others to not make silly vows. Hey, that's, don't, don't do that. And help others to keep their vows if they make vows. Overriding principles here. Over in Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you. And it will be counted as sin against you. 
But if you refrain from making a vow, it will not be counted against you as sin. Verse 23, so be careful to do whatever comes from your lips because you have freely vowed what you have promised to the Lord your God. So we're seeing a, a bit of, uh, uh, if, you, if you say it, then, then go through. Be, be truth tellers, be honest, be consistent. So here's what the Pharisees did. They, they looked at these passages and they say, Okay, what does this really mean? Well, let's, let's look at, do not swear falsely by my name. And after thinking about that for a while, they said, okay, how about if we just go ahead and swear falsely, but not by God's name? I'm, I'm not making a joke. This is, this is what they did. They became known as untruthful people. There's all sorts of business dealings all around the world, all sorts of relationships, and, and they took this passage to mean if you, if you swear an oath and you use God's name, that's when you have to be truthful. But you can swear by anything else, and you don't have to fulfill that vow. So they became uh, really, really good at the use of all sorts of convincing speech. And say... Yes, keep your vows. Anything that you make, make it to the Lord, keep it, but, but anything else. From this understanding, they apparently came up with a running list of, of things that, that was like important in their minds, but was not the Lord himself, his name. So there's this, there, there's this weight, and I don't know what kind of counsel came together to say this is more important than that, but they came up with this, this running list, and we see a little bit of when Jesus is responding here, to, to these different uh, lists and weights of things that they had come up with. And you got to give it to them. It, it's fairly creative. The kind of creativity to sit down and, and say, do not, uh, do not swear by my name. And somehow that meant, go ahead and, and, and lie. Just don't do it in my name. It's a little bit like uh, when you go out on a date. You go out, you head out, and you say, hey, kids, don't eat all the ice cream. Okay? And you get back home, and there's a bite of ice cream left. And you say, guys, we said, don't eat all the ice cream. And Hey, we didn't eat all the ice cream. I mean, when you say all, that's, that's completely, but like there's, there's a bite left. Also, you didn't say anything about the Otter Pops or the, 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 uh, what, the cold dairy sandwiches. You know, you, you said ice cream, but all that other stuff, we just ate all that. It's fine. The kind of creativity that my kids wouldn't do that, though. The kind of creativity that goes into looking and say, how can I get around? How can I get around this rule? How can I get around this law? And, and so they did that. It's kind of amazing in light of Zechariah 8, 16 and 17. I think I have this one bookmarked. Feel free to turn if you'd like. <clears throat> I sure hope I have it bookmarked. Zechariah. You guys doing your sword drills. All right. Good job. Zechariah 8, 16 and 17. These are the things that you must do. Speak the truth to one another. Make true and sound decisions within your city gates. Do not plot evil in your hearts against your neighbor. And do not love perjury. For I hate all of this. This is the Lord's declaration. 
For all of the things that the Pharisees get slammed for, they certainly had a lot of knowledge of God's Word. To say that they they would not have known of this passage is, is really idiotic. So it is surprising to me that this creativity in distorting the truth would come about when they clearly would have known this passage. These things you must do, speak truth to one another. Now, certainly, they could have said, well, that's, that's talking like, you know, two people. But if there's three people in the room, then we can lie. You know, there's, there's always ways around the rule. But they certainly knew we're supposed to be truth tellers. Okay, so it become commonplace to make vows or oaths to things other than God. And for that to be okay not to be a binding oath or a, a binding promise. I wonder what the other nations thought about this. The other people who were coming into proximity with with Israel. I wonder what kind of dealings were going on that that was, there was just kind of an acceptance of, you got to be careful for these guys. They will promise to your face, but not come through. I wonder what kind of reputation was started to be built. Well, Jesus starts to correct them by stating in verse 5, uh, Matthew 5, 34 36. Everything belongs to the Lord, whatever it is that you swear by. So, first of all, you know, they were avoiding saying Yahweh or, or God's name. They would, they would swear by the heavens. I swear to you by the heavens, all of the heavens. You know, the skies are pretty beautiful <laughs> and big. And powerful and majestic. And you can say, by all of the heavens, the stars and the planets, by all of that I promised you. That's very big. You can see in this weighty system of things that that they'd say, that's a big promise. Well, what about the earth? The earth is a big place too. What about your own head? By, By your life, by your body. And... I don't know if Jesus was laughing or not. I don't know how he delivered this. I, I've told you before, I hope when we get to heaven, there'll be like a, a 4D. I don't know if there's four dimensions, but however, the most uh, real experience of these biblical events gets retold, that we get to watch it, maybe smell it, hear it, like all of it, that would be fantastic. I don't know what Jesus' demeanor is here. I can, I can, I can kind of see him laughing a little bit. <laughs> you guys. The heavens... That's his, that's his throne room. He owns the heavens. The earth, that's, his, that's where he kicks up his feet. He owns the earth. And even you. Yeah, clearly your head doesn't belong to anybody else except, you know, your creator, the one who gave you life and breath and thought and a soul. There's nothing that you can swear by that doesn't belong to, to God. So to, to make an oath to say, oh, we're just not using God's name, anything that is in creation has been made and is owned by God. I kind of like calling them knuckleheads. That came out last week, and I thought about this in my studies all week. Just saying, you knuckleheads, come on. You should know better the heavens, the earth, the, your own heads. God owns it all. Okay, 
So this is interesting to me because um, this, this passage here is adding a little bit something different from what, from what we've seen in the previous passages. It says uh, a new part of the conversation here. Jesus is, is bringing out clarity and that God wants our hearts and our hands. And now, if you were to think, are the words that we speak, is that a part of your heart? What's going on on the inside? Is this part of your actions? And there's a, there's a little bit of a blend in between the two here of between your heart and your commitment, there's words. And Jesus is saying these words are important. There's a, a stop between what's going on in your heart and what you're going to do. There's some words. Very powerful. I was sitting next to a really, really well-known theologian, Michael Seibert, last week. And, uh, and he said, God's words are extremely powerful. And as God's re, uh, creation, our words are powerful too. That's right. That's true. We, we forget that. We forget how powerful our words can be. And, and that might be a little bit of the unrest that we, that we feel inside the church, outside the church, in our community, in our nation, in our world is that words can be treated really cheaply, like they don't have importance. Verse 37, 537. We get to see the main idea from from Jesus. He's saying you you should be a person that's truthful. You should be a truth teller. You should be honest. Just as as God is truthful, just as God is honest... As followers of this God, you should always be truth truth tellers because you are a reflection of him. This may be the key thing that that these Pharisees missed was that people were looking to them to be the religious leaders to say this is who God is and this is who God has told us that we should be and as people who were consistently untruthful, that reflection on God was was bad. Jesus highlights, be holy because I am holy. Wow, that is, that's a difficult charge. We talked about a, a good definition of holy is to be good and right and perfect. And God's rightness is fully correct, fully true. Absolutely right. Jesus later says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. I'm thankful for, for that, that verse. The way. We get lost. We want to know where to go and how to go. I'm thankful for the truth. We hunger. Just tell me the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And the last part of this, this verse uh, in the oath-making, anything more than this is from the evil one. This is really interesting. Just going to kind of nerd out here uh, some, some word study here. Um, but as, as I dove into this, it doesn't actually say from the evil one. It can accurately be translated that way. But, it, but what it actually says is from evil. Now, there is a way in the original language to, to designate from, to, from the devil. It would be possessive, the evil coming from the one, the devil. 
It doesn't say that. What it does say is that it, that it comes from evil. And because it can be translated from the devil, it can also be translated, it comes from the evil that is within. If you remember, just on the heels of last week, we looked over at James. And James points out in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that our own hearts entice us to evil. That we're really, really quick to blame it on the devil or blame it on your parents or somebody else or whatever, right? We're so quick to blame it on others and, and we, we have a hard time recognizing that our own hearts entice us. And we saw this in anger and murder and we saw this in, in lust and adultery and, and now we get a, a possible allusion to this here if, if Jesus is moving through this with the same idea of beware of your heart, beware of your heart, beware of your heart. This, this evil might be right inside your own heart. The devil clearly is the father of lies, but also clearly our hearts are deceitful. So, last week, we got to, to skip forward and see Jesus interact with some Pharisees on this exact subject that he was talking about, and we get to see that again. So if you would flip over with me, Matthew 23. Matthew 23. First one there gets a piece of candy. Just kidding. Okay, Matthew 23, verse, verses 16 through 22. Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever takes on an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes on an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctify the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar means nothing, but whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on, on it is bound by his oath. Blind people. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. We see uh, uh, Jesus interacting with Pharisees face to face here in the same exact teaching that he's, that he's working with and saying, hey, guys, when you promise something, you need to fulfill it. And all of this, this other systems, God owns it all. You, you got you to see it's important that you follow through. I, I, I like it here. Uh, Jesus calls them blind guides. We kind of jump over that. But just think for a second. If you, if you had a guide and, you're bl- and you're, your guide couldn't see, that's kind of funny. I think when I first came here, uh, you know, I grew up in Central Oregon, uh, the Central Cascades, all sorts of just really, really amazing hikes in that area. And uh, after spending some time over in the coast area, that's when we moved here. Well, in coming here, there's tradition for the youth to go up and hike up Aneroid in the, in the summers. It is really, really beautiful. I was blown away. I kind of thought, I've been in the Central Cascades. I mean, what can you guys possibly have? Wow, it is beautiful up there. I remember the first time up at that time, we were doing a pre-trip, and so that was taking all of the extra stuff. So the, the maximum amount of students 
could go up if we took extra stuff so their packs didn't have to be so heavy, so more of them could successfully complete the hike. So at that time, we're going up, and, and Mike Willard is with me. And uh, we had somebody else. I don't remember who was with us. I don't, is Mike still here? I don't remember. So uh, we're, we're hiking up this trail, and, and we're going, and I'm thinking, yeah, sure, I can beat this old guy. And Mike is a mule, man. He just, he's just going, and he's pulling away. And, uh, and I, was, I was really, really grateful. I was sad that, that my health was, it wasn't as good as his, but, but as we're going up, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I've never been on this hike before. I'm really, really grateful that, that he knows which turn to take so we can, the destination that we're trying to get to. He's got knowledge of, of how to get there, which way to go, which way not to go. And it was comforting to me to just have that knowledge of I'm with somebody who knows this path, the right way to go. And for years, I've used that as an analogy, speaking to, to younger people. Say, hey, hey, young people, I know it's easy to just discount the people who are ahead of you. So look at the older people and say, oh, what do they don't know? You know, what do they know? They don't know how to text correctly or, you know, whatever. But the people ahead of us, they've, they've been down other paths. They can say, hey guys, I've been down this fork, and it looks beautiful when you turn off, but I've been down there, and that path leads to a lot of pain. I'm telling you, you can go down there. I really can't stop you, but I'm telling you that there's pain that way. You want to go that way. Come with me. I love that analogy, and maybe it's just because I love being out in God's creation, but I love to be able to to use that kind of metaphor to say, Friends, get involved in a relationship with people who are a little bit further down the road than you, that they can give you counsel and say, this is the way you should go and this is the way you shouldn't go. We need that. So blind guides, I love that Jesus calls them blind guides there. You guys, you're trying to tell people that you see God and you see the way to go and you, you guys don't know. You're blind. Okay. So, back to the main text. It's important that we note that this passage is not saying don't make any promises. We, we definitely should, and, and we'll see that in a minute. It, it's, not, it's not saying do not make any vows whatsoever. It's not saying don't make any vows to the Lord. And it's not saying don't make any vows to one another using God's name. It's not teaching any of those things. The Bible uh, shows us all sorts of vows that were accepted by God. Now, there's so, so many examples here, we could not go through all of them, but if you want to write them down for your own study, study feel free. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29, the Jews are returning from Babylon, and they swore what was called a, a, a blessing and a curse, and that they, they promised to walk in God's ways. God, we swear to you, we will walk in your ways. It's a blessing and a curse because, because it was such a strong, strong vow that they, they had written. Their original intent, we want to follow God, but then later when they broke from that, God held them accountable for it. But that was, that was a vow. Genesis 14, 22 through 24, Abraham and the king of Sodom swore an oath. Genesis 21, 23 through 24, Abraham and Abimelech. 1 Samuel 20, 16, David and Jonathan, they covenanted, covenanted together. They, they were bound together. They made the strongest of promises before the Lord, we are united. On and on and on. 
Also, God himself made oaths to Abraham. He said, by my own self, I have sworn. In Genesis 9, 9 through 11, in Psalms 16, 10. Genesis 22, 16 and 17, Ezekiel 33, 11, we get all sorts of times where God promises, God himself makes an oath. Real quick, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 18. This is in direct connection to the Genesis 22, 16 passage. Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Paul says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly, To the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. So we see again Paul's reference to to God giving insight to that original promise, saying God can do this, and and God's doing it and saying, I I tell you with the most amount of assurance that, that I will accomplish this. What's funny is we know that, that God cannot tell a lie. It's impossible for him to do that. God cannot tell a lie. But still, there was something in the relationship that he wanted to assure this person, I will follow through. And what God does, we can emulate and say, if you're in a situation, hopefully your situation is, is as a truth teller, and people will take it very easy for you. To, to follow through with your promises. But you might be in a situation where maybe somebody doesn't know you as well or, or even a close person really, really needs to know that you're going to come through. And so we can follow in God's footsteps in this way and, and say, I assure you. Paul does this all over the place, just, just building the case here. Uh, Jesus is not saying something new. He's just giving us insight. In Romans uh, 1.9 and 9.1, 2 Corinthians 1.23, 11.31, Galatians 1.20, you get it. Promises, vows, all over the place in the Bible. Jesus himself made vows or promises or assurances. Several times he says, truly, honestly, completely, fully, I say to you. Just over in, in, in Matthew 5.18. There's other times in their culture where they would emphasize something by repetition. And so Jesus would say, truly, truly, <laughs> in case truly wasn't enough, I assure you, John 1, 51, 3, 3. And certainly the accounts of the gospel itself through Jesus' mouth. John six thirty seven, Jesus says, all who come to me, I will not drive away. Thank goodness for that promise. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. John 14, 16. I promise to give you the Holy Spirit. John 14, 3. 
I will bring you into heaven with me and my Father. Amen. Matthew 26, 63-64, before Caiaphas. Caiaphas is there. We're on the trial. And Caiaphas sets this up. All right, you're in my courtroom. I'm the judge. And you are now under oath. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the one that we've been looking for? And Jesus responds, you're the one that said it. And soon you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father. And just in case there's any uh, unclarity or skepticism, their response means that they clearly understood what he was saying there. They immediately said, blasphemy. Blasphemy is when somebody claims to be God, and that was punishable by death. Nobody can, can, can claim to be God. This is what Jesus was put to death for. It's true, if you're not God, you shouldn't claim to be God, unless you're God. So we can make vows. What the Pharisees were missing, what we sometimes miss too is the gravity of our words. That our our words are important. They do have weight. And we need to keep promises. We, We should probably avoid making silly vows If we make a promise on a big thing, we should do everything that we can, everything that we can to fulfill that promise. Especially if if God is a part of that conversation, if it's to God or in in front of God. So if if you're called to court and you're called to testify, it is okay to make a vow, to make a promise. Just tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you make a promise to stay with somebody for the rest of your life, whatever you can do to stay together, you should stay together. Oaths of office. Somebody steps into a leadership role. We see that publicly, but but really any sort of leadership position. Being in leadership is tough. It's hard. One of the number one things I learned through COVID is it doesn't matter what you do, people are going to be angry. There's going to be people who don't like the decision that you make. And that's just, that's just part of it. That's just, that's just part of it. And Jesus was certainly familiar with, he had a lot of truthful things to say and a lot of people who were upset with the things that he had to say. But we need to be truth tellers. Maybe more on the personal scale, Right here in this room, there's been oaths made by parents coming up on the stage and saying, hey, we promise we're going to do the best that we can to love God and love these kids and raise them to be disciples of Jesus. A commitment before the church. And we often look at that, but we sometimes forget that there is always in this church a response from the congregation. We too commit before the Lord to help you raise your kids in the Lord. We should keep our promises. We should keep our commitments. We should not easily join in when there's a, 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 
an invitation. Hey, let's all say this together. If the church covenant gives you pause, I challenge you to not read it out loud. But if you can wholeheartedly get behind what we stand for, you should read it. So, Jesus was most likely here uh, prohibiting frivolous use of misleading oaths as the culture had driven. He was saying, be truthful, be, uh, be complete, follow through. Here's this, uh, uh, I don't know, it's a maybe funny, ironic observation. Uh, the, the attempt to invoke trust in somebody, I promise you, I, I really, really promise you, I promise, 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 I pinky promise That attempt is really a reflection of, I'm going to be more honest now than I was just a minute ago. So basically, I'm distrustful unless I say this, unless I'm lying about this. It's funny that this has been built up, and I don't know why. Maybe there's something in our, in our broken nature. And we know that lies exist, and we know that, that people are fallen. But I think we desire to be around truth tellers. I think there's something inside of us. Because we are made to be in relationship with God, we desire to be around truth tellers. I have uh, proximity to, to some law enforcement people, grew up in a law enforcement household. And, uh, and sometimes uh, you'd, you'd hear officers talk, and, and this is something somebody told me in McMinnville. He said, you know, the more somebody tells me, trust me, the more somebody tells me, believe me, I'm telling you the truth. I swear on my mother's grave. The, the further this witness goes down this road, the more that officer would say, I really am starting to distrust you because you're building this case up so much of trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. If you're trustworthy, you don't need to build a big case. Trust me. You just, you just know. Trustworthy person. So, here's the main idea. Be a people that speaks truth. Be honest always. As followers of God, we reflect His character to the world. And so, we must be truthful because He is truthful. If there's an application here as you, as you walk out, we need to make a commitment. It's not easy to always tell the truth. I mean, most of the time it is. Be a truthful person. It's easy to come through on the small stuff. But you get into those big commitments that we were talking about. Some of you have experience with this. Some of you don't. But, you know, when a relationship really goes off the rails, it is hard to stay faithful to that relationship. But as far as as we can go, we need to press in and go as far as we can. We need to make a commitment to be truthful, truth-tellers. When we make an oath before the Lord, we need to do our best to, to, to finish it. There may be somebody in your mind right now thinking there's been some untruth between us. You should confess, certainly to the Lord, but you, you might need to make a lunch opportunity or get together somehow and say, I, I need to confess to you. I, I've been untruthful. I, I, I told you a lie. I made a commitment to you and I didn't follow through and... and Confess. And lastly, community, because I needed three C's. Community, meaning find some people around you that will help you 
weed through these commitments that, that you're making. Whether uh, saying, I think, I think I'm going to commit to this. You've got a group of people who love you and know you to say, yes, you should make that commitment. Or no, you should not make that commitment. Or do you remember? You made that commitment. You need to stick with it. We need those kind of people in our lives. When I, uh, when I was a young man, there was a guy in uh, the youth group, and we were on this retreat, and it was a guy's retreat, and so we were talking about guy stuff. And, uh, and I remember this group of guys, and this guy was, was one of them. He said, hey, you guys, we, we know that, that we want to stay sexually pure until we get married. And so if I ever get into a relationship where I, uh, where I go off the rails, I want you guys to love me enough to come and get in my face and, and say, hey, this was not your goal for your life, and certainly this is not God's goal for your life. And so you asked me to come and tell you, and so I did this to this friend, and man, he was mad. He didn't punch me, but he told me later he really, really wanted to, to throw down. Fast forward about 20 years. 15 years. I, I, I'm working up in Seattle, and he and his, uh, his family come through where I'm working. And uh, he stops everything, does the double take, and runs over and throws me into a bear hug. My last arrangement with this guy was, was, was confronting him with truth and, and this, uh, this commitment that he wanted to make and wanted to help me, invite me into it. And, and I spoke to him, and, and the last time I saw him, all I knew for that 15 years was that this guy hated my guts. He threw me into an embrace and started crying. He said, do you remember when you came to me? I didn't want to hear it. But I heard through you the Lord. And that was the start of my repentance. And I came back to the Lord. Thank you. We need community. We, we're not supposed to be alone. And to do these difficult things that God has called us to do, we need to be tight with a group of people who can help us accomplish these promises and these goals. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we want to be a group of people that reflect who you are to this world. God, we want to be close to you. We want to love you. We want to love you deeply and intimately. We want to follow you. God, I thank you that you are a truth teller. And God, living in this broken world, it is sometimes hard to fulfill promises, to, to be truthful. And God, I just pray that you'd help us in the easy times and certainly in the hard times. Help us to be people that reflect you, that we keep our commitments, that we we always tell the truth. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer.